0: Uh, Today's message is called, Heart Condition, A Secret for Being a Blessing. First section, To Dwell with Saints We Know. We've been studying Apostle Peter's first letter to the early church, particularly those scattered throughout the region of Asia Minor. We sometimes idealize the early church, imagining them to have been perfectly joined in unity, but there are indications this was not always the case. Apparently, believers could disagree on various topics back then as now. So today's section in 1 Peter 3 begins with an admonition to live in harmony with one another. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, two women are named who could not get along with each other, Euodia and Sintiki, or has sometimes been rendered Odious and touchy. Obviously, they must have had some trouble working together. Then and now, the church is too often described in this little jingle. To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will sure be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. Another example, possibly fictitious, three churches, Baptist, Methodist, and Presbyterian, work together to sponsor community-wide revival. After the revival had concluded, the three pastors were discussing the results with each other. The Methodist minister said, well, the revival worked great for us. We gained four families as new members of our congregation. The Baptist preacher said, "Eh, it turned out even better for us. We gained six new families for our congregation." you know where this is going? The Presbyterian pastor in his turn beamed broadly and reported, well, we did even better than that. We got rid of ten of our biggest troublemakers. <laughs> in chapter 3 of First Peter, the apostle admonishes getting along with each other, fueled by humility and the desire to be a blessing. Honoring Christ in our hearts helps us not only get along with other church members, but also even with those outside the church who may direct insults toward us. And uh, wasn't it wonderful to hear the singing this morning? And uh, uh, just that's something I've missed so much over the pandemic is uh, being able to sing. So uh, thank you for singing out and good to praise the Lord together. Next section, the lubrication of submission in relationships. Verse 8 packs a lot in. It could be a sermon in itself. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Now the word finally at the beginning does not mean Peter's getting to the end of his letter. It means it's the final part in a series of instructions that began back in 2.13. A series in which Submission plays a strong role right through to the end of chapter 3. 2.13-17 to 17 emphasizes submission to governing authorities. 2.18-25 advises submission of slaves to their masters. 3.1-7 enjoins husbands and wives to get along, wives submitting to their husbands, but similarly husbands being considerate and respectful toward their wives. This last section in the series, uh, 3, 8 to 22, talks about submission in general to other believers and gentleness and respect toward outsiders who ask us to explain why we have hope in Christ. The closing words of chapter 3 speak of angels, authorities, and power in submission to Christ. So the individual verses in this section are part of an overall approach to relationships in various spheres of life grounded in submission, humbling ourselves to properly and humbly relate to others, seeking to serve their needs rather than advance our own interests. It's instruction on how to get along, how to cooperate, to put the other's needs first. Peter says, finally, all of you, addressing the whole church, whether slaves or masters, husbands or wives, seniors, singles, everyone. He's not aiming at anyone in particular. These are admonitions for all of us who call ourselves Christian. He says, live in harmony with one another, and a unity of spirit, literally of the same mind. Adopt the same outlook. Jesus prayed in John 17 that the church would have unity and be one even as he and the Father are one. In fact, this would constitute an important part of our witness if we're united. John 17, 23. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Church squabbles and division hurt our witness to the community. Peter says next, be sympathetic. The word in Greek is very similar to our English rendering, meaning to feel with, to suffer or feel pain together. Are our hearts sensitive enough to allow ourselves to be affected or impacted along with them? Or... Do we shield ourselves, erect boundaries, say inside, well, that's their problem, not ours? Next, Peter says, Love as brothers. Today we add, and sisters. Philadelphos, like in Philadelphia. Family members can be pretty strong in standing up for one another. Jesus, Jesus taught his followers in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you Love one another. That's supposed to be so basic for Christianity. Again, our witness to those outside the church is hindered if we're not practicing love to those inside the church fellowship. Paul put it in Romans 12:10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. Hear that submission element coming through in connection with loving? Honoring the other person above myself, giving them preference. Love does that. Next, Peter says, Be compassionate and humble. Compassionate is literally well-spleened in RSV, a tender heart. Today we might say the other person is hurting. We're gutted on their account. Are your innards moved? Is your gut wrenched because of how they're hurting? And a humble mind, NRSV, or lowly spirit. To the Philippians, Paul pointed to the example of Jesus self-emptying, coming down from glory, taking the form of a servant, humbling himself even to death on a cross and we come down off our high horse long enough to actually relate to and help out the sufferer. Paul wrote in Romans twelve sixteen, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. See the importance of humility instead of pride or conceit when it comes to putting love into action. I've titled this particular section The Lubrication of Submission in Relationships. In our machinery, oil is an important lubricant. If your engine runs out of oil, it will soon come to a screeching halt. As one of my daughter's uh, potential boyfriends found out when he drove up from Indiana to Sault Ste. Marie in his fancy Lexus sports car. Oops. This passage on living in harmony with one another reminds me of a psalm involving oil, Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the beard, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. Unity is like oil, a lubricant. Everything just seems to work better. You mesh and cooperate. Next section, speak and act in ways God supports. A fair chunk of today's passage consists of Peter quoting from Psalm 34 in the Septuagint, altering it slightly from second person to third person, from you to he. Here we find the motivation to speak and act rightly, to live in harmony and love one another, to be sympathetic and compassionate. Notice the word for at the beginning of verse 10. Verses 8 and 9 are empowered by verses 10 to 12. We love others because we're seeking to please God by doing and speaking what's right. Here's Peter's rough quoting of the psalm. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, there's poetic Hebrew parallelism here. We keep our tongue from evil, our lips from deceitful speech. That's the talking part. We turn from evil and do good. We seek peace and pursue it. That's the acting or behavior part, our doing. Uh, I popped downstairs to the Sunday school during the song there, and uh, Chris was uh, teaching kids what 's the difference between a pretend Christian and a, a real Christian. That was some good application going on. One girl puts on a real Christian. You we're know, followers of Jesus. Ah, good answer. Why? Because the second four at the start of verse 12, "The four of the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. God is watching. He's listening. He's seeking to be supportive to those who are trying to please him. He's ready to answer their prayers and grant their requests in line with his will. So if you follow the logic, the the for's or because's in Peter's quote of the psalm, we love our sisters and brothers and live in harmony with one another, sympathetically, humbly, not because we want to draw attention to ourselves in a look at me, pat me on the back kind of way, but because we know the Lord is paying attention and rewards those who do what's right. Conversely, his face is against those who do evil. He opposes them. He's foiling their plans and preparing judgment for them. The psalm Peter's quoting is telling us to speak and act in ways God supports. Peter extends that to apply to how we get along with our fellow believers. The Lord's eyes are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer. And we really bear that in mind, moment to moment, that the Lord has us in view and is keenly interested in us. J.I. Packer writes in Knowing God, What matters supremely, therefore, is not, in the last analysis, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands, Isaiah forty nine sixteen. I'm never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention is distracted from me and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort, the sort of comfort that energizes, be it said, not enervates, in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. And a quote from J.I. Packer. The Lord is attentive to you for the purpose of blessing you, supporting you as you speak and do what's right, what will further his goals. Section, right reverence empowers blessing when blasted. On either side of this quote from Psalm 34, Peer tackles the problem of how we respond when others mistreat us. How can we turn the situation around and instead of taking revenge or being hurtful in return, instead respond in a way that blesses the other person? Verse 9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. It's hard not to hit back, isn't it? It's almost an automatic reflex to want to defend yourself by reacting in like manner. Retaliation can be unthinking. Friedrich Nietzsche observed, Revenge is the greatest instinct in the human race. Now, what is the this, Peter says, we are called to? To respond with blessing instead of evil or insult. Your Living Translation puts it, uh, don't repay evil for evil. Uh, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. Hmm. We're called to pay back evil with a blessing. Hmm. Do you think Peter was maybe echoing his master on the subject of retaliation? Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five thirty-eight to 40. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also, or slaps, I guess. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well easy to say, hard to do. But that's the path of blessing. It's just like our Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 45. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. A blessing, God, even toward those who don't deserve it. Not that outsiders should have any justification for hurting us, Peter notes in verse 13, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? This rhetorically expects the answer, nobody. But verses 9 and 14 obviously concede and acknowledge that this may sometimes happen. Our best behavior and good intentions may be misunderstood, misinterpreted, even resented and opposed by those who are in darkness. Verse 14, But even if you should suffer for doing for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Huh? I'm suffering, getting insulted, having evil done to me, getting beat up for no reason, yet I'm not supposed to retaliate. That's hard. But Peter assures us there is blessing in responding with grace, not grudge. God is keeping score. So, we don't have to. Our job is to bless in return, to show them a better way. God, not other humans, is the one we are to fear and revere. Peter here is quoting Isaiah 8 12 to 14. Uh, do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. Isn't that great? He is our sanctuary, our safe place. He whom we regard as holy, fear, dread, revere, hold in highest regard and absolute awe. Next to him, compared to his sovereign almighty power, other opponents pale by comparison. Which leads us into the awesome phrase Peter gives us at the beginning of verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. NRSV, sanctify. Bible in basic English, give honor to. Lexicon says, to make holy, consecrate, sanctify. We designate and regard Jesus with highest honor as Lord. He is our ultimate point of reference he will be on the judgment seat. We will render account for our actions to him. 2 Corinthians 5.10. So, revenge is a powerful instinct, but he helps us respond with blessing instead. Just past April 1st, when April Fool's practical jokes may have tricked some and even tempted them to take revenge somehow. Yes, I was tricked, so of you know. Chuck Swindoll relates, Some fellows were stationed in Korea during the Korean War. While there, they rented a home and hired a local boy to cook and clean for them. These troops were a bunch of jokesters and they soon began to take advantage of the young boy's naivete. They'd smear Vaseline on the stove handles so that when he turned the stove on in the morning, he'd get grease all over his fingers. They put little water buckets over the door so that he'd get deluged when he opened the door. They'd even nail his shoes to the floor during the night. Day after endless day, the little fellow took the brunt of their practical jokes without saying anything. No blame, no self-pity, no temper tantrums. Finally, the men felt guilty about what they were doing, so they sat down with the young Korean and said, Look, we know these pranks aren't funny anymore, and we're sorry. We're never going to take advantage of you again. It seemed too good to be true to the houseboy. No more sticky on stove, he asked. Nope. No more water on door? Nope. No more nail shoes to floor? Nope, never again. Okay, the boy said with a smile, no more spit in soup. <laughs> the witness reasoning with respect speaks volumes. As we interface with others who are not believers, our character and our content are important factors in how we interact so as to make Jesus and the gospel appealing to them. Peter touches on this as we come to the end of today's passage. He talked earlier, quoting Psalm 34, about the importance of keeping our tongue from evil and doing good and seeking peace. In verse 16, he mentions, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Don't give opponents any reason to accuse us of wrongdoing. Keep your behavior good, then they won't have any ammunition. Turn from evil and do good, as the psalmist put it. The Apostle Paul, in his trial before Governor Felix, could attest in Acts 24, 16, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before god and man what if your conscience isn't clear join the club practice first john 1 9 confess it repent of it turn from it renounce it receive christ's forgiveness don't be a re-offender lean into god depend on the holy spirit to help you resist that temptation the next time Find others to support you and help you be accountable and pray for you for prevention. take into account Psalm one nineteen, nine and eleven. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In verse fifteen, Peter enjoins us to give testimony about our faith and then adds, "But do this with gentleness." respect. When we witness to others, it can't be in a conceited or I've got this all figured out manner. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Gentleness, respect, humbly, praying for them to have a receptive spirit. That's our character. There's also content to our witness. Verse 15b, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Can you share your faith journey in a few sentences? Uh, next week we'll be asking Aaron Crestman and uh, Jim Whittick before they're baptized to give a, a short uh, bit about their faith story, how, what brings them to be baptized. Nicky Gumbel of the Alpha Course sums it up in three parts a bit about your life before you came to know Jesus, how you became aware of your need and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and finally, what difference Jesus has made in your life since you became a Christian. Another approach in sharing our faith is the bridge illustration. Guest speaker Henry de actually used this last week as part of his drawings. I don't know if you noticed it or not, the chasm and Jesus the cross. You can draw this on a serviette at a restaurant. God's on one side of a chasm and humankind is on the other side of the chasm separated by sin from his holiness. We try different ladders to bridge the chasm but none will reach across. Ladders of accomplishment, works, trying harder, ladders of pleasure and sin to try and fill that void we feel. All fall short. But Jesus came from heaven and gave himself to be a bridge which we cross by faith, not works, and come into fellowship with God. Another more recent way to present our Christian faith to someone uses a tiny app on your phone called Three Circles. It's only four megabytes. It doesn't take up much space, so give it a whirl. Here's a brief video describing how it works. Uh, we'll need some sound from the back
1: there. So we live in this world, and it's characterized by brokenness. We don't have to look very hard to see. There are things like disease, disasters, wars. There's a lot of pain in this world, but this is not God's original design. God has a perfect design, and the way that we have gotten ourselves into brokenness is through something that the Bible calls sin. Sin is turning away from God's design and pursuing our own way, and that leads us to brokenness. Brokenness eventually leads us to death, and this death will separate us from God forever. But God doesn't want us to stay in brokenness, so He's made a way out. And that way is Jesus. Jesus comes and he enters into our brokenness. And the death that we deserve for pursuing brokenness, Jesus takes our place and dies on a cross. And his body is broken for us. And three days after he dies, he rose from the dead and he made a way out of brokenness. And people try many things to get out of brokenness. Things like religion, things like success or relationships education, or drugs and alcohol, but none of these things can get us out of brokenness. The only way out is Jesus. And if we turn from our sin and believe that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead, we can leave brokenness and grow in a relationship with God and pursue His design. And more than that, we can go. We can be sent, just like Jesus, back into brokenness to help others come through Him to pursue God's design. Now there's two types of people in the world. There are people that are pursuing God's design and there's people that are still in brokenness. We have to ask ourselves, where are we? So where do you think you are?
0: So it's just a very simple three circles. And uh, as I say, it's an app. The app will draw the pictures for you. You don't have to even be an artist. You just have to click and it'll kind of walk you through it. But find a tool that works well for you. You can sort of put it in your own words. I like this one because it kind of starts with the brokenness that most people can relate to in some form in society today. I uh, used to use Roman's Road. Some of you will remember Roman's Road. For people that were kind of already in a biblically oriented culture or grew up in church, that would probably speak more because they kind of give the Bible some credit already. Uh, but just find some uh, way of sharing your faith and uh, with gentleness and respect. Last section, his compassion marks a Christ follower. Sympathize with each other, Peter admonished the early Christians. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender hearted and keep a humble attitude. In closing, here's a short story that's an example of someone witnessing without words by simple caring. Yet something in the action pointed the other person in the direction of Jesus. It's by Olga Wetzel in Eternity Magazine. She writes, The Greyhound bus slowed and then stopped. It was just a wayside stop with a garage and a small store. A young native stepped aboard, and after he had paid his fare, he sat down behind me. It was February. We were traveling from Flagstaff, Arizona, to Albuquerque, New Mexico. The night was cold. In the warm bus, the tired youth was soon asleep. But after about 20 minutes, he got up and walked to the front of the bus to ask if we were near his destination. We passed there a long time ago, the bus driver snapped. Acknowledging he had known the boy was riding beyond his stop, he asked angrily, Why didn't you get off? The quiet passenger's shoulders drooped. He turned and came back to his seat. Barely had he sat down when he rose again and went to the driver. Will you stop and let me off, he asked. I'll walk back. No, it's too far and too cold. You'd freeze to death. You'll have to go into Albuquerque and then take a bus back. Disappointment showed in his walk as he came back to his seat. Were you asleep? I asked him. Yes, and my sister was waiting for me there. He dropped into the seat behind me. I was returning to Wisconsin after serving a quarter term as a volunteer teacher in a native mission school. This experience had taught me the hard living conditions of the natives in the area. The small adobe houses with earth floors, the lack of privacy in those little one or two room houses. The role played by teenagers was very hard. There was no room for them at home, yet they were not really ready to go out on their own. All the while, we were nearing Albuquerque, a large and strange city. I thought he must be wondering what he would do after he got there. I turned to him and asked, Are you afraid yes he said in a hate to admit it way stay with me i said and i'll help you get on the right bus back i talked to the driver will you please check with the return driver so he need not pay return fare okay the driver reluctantly agreed everything will be all right i told the boy you need not worry about anything his eyes said thank you we rode on for possibly ten more minutes. Then a hand tapped my shoulder. I turned to see my young friend leaning toward me. In a reverent voice, he asked, Are you a Christian? Let's pray. Lord, we praise you that your eyes are on your people and your ears are attentive to our prayer. Thank you that our insults and scoffing to Jesus on the cross were not answered with wrath but mercy, that you cause your sun to shine on the evil and the good alike. God, grant us attentive eyes to the needs of those around us. Soften our hearts so they are sympathetic and tender toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Grant us mutual understanding so we can live in harmony together and so be a better witness to the world of your Son. And help us always be ready to give the reason for the hope we have in Christ. In his precious name we pray. Amen.